In episode 4.5 of Unshuffled, we discuss the brand spanking new album from Ghost. It's called Impera. Let's check it out. Welcome listeners, welcome to Unshuffled once again. Thank you for rejoining us or joining us for the first time, if uh, that's the case. Great to have you with us once again. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me as always, from the other side of Eurasia, I'm in Belgium, our co-host, Scotty D, is in Japan. Hi, Scott. Hey, Matt. It, it has been a long time. Yeah, we always say that. We do Drink. <laughs> it's always been a long time, but that's okay. We can take our time. And it's been nice to spend some time with this album. And uh, For those who are wondering, if it's not obvious already, the album we'll be discussing today on Unshuffled is the new album from Ghost. It's called Impera. And it's been really highly anticipated by metalheads and hard rock fans all around the world and by us who are very familiar having worked our way through as we do album by album uh, over the last we did that what uh, about a year ago I guess we were doing Ghost and now we're back it's always exciting when a band we've covered already and got to the end of releases a new album because at that point we become like new album reviewers and that's the case here I was really excited for this. I, what I was surprised by, I didn't realize this band was so popular. Like I did not realize just how popular this band was um, until this album had come out. And I don't know if it's because we remember when we started this whole thing, Ghost was one of those bands we had heard about, as we do. It was one of those bands we had heard about and we felt we should listen to, but we hadn't listened to. And then I remember going back and listening to and having the conversations. But even then, I mean, we were just scouring for all this ghost stuff. And it was hard to find it. When we first started doing this, when we were first covering the first album, it was really hard to find anything on Ghost. And I realized early on that I had to type in Ghost BC to find anything on the band. They're all over the place now with this new album. It's hard to not read anything on this band. And so I thought that was kind of, I don't know how long it ago it was that we did the ghost episodes i know i was living in jakarta i don't think you were i think it was during that period when you had just left all right so it would have been about a year ago Mm -hmm. and it's just in that time i mean this album i it it was number one right I, i mean it came in at number one on American charts. Hmm. So anyway, I was, I was, I was, I was shocked by that, but good on them. I, I say. Yeah. It's, it's nice to see a band, you know, and, and an album getting publicity and getting talked about again, rather than just a singer or, or an individual artist, you know, this, um, you know, how much of a true band they are, I guess we can talk about again, as we, and we've discussed in the past, but. Um, Tobias Forge is definitely, I mean, he's whatever. I mean, whenever he sort of broke that 
facade. Um, he's definitely not shy about now giving interviews as Tobias Forge. In fact, I think prior before I would see ghosts with whichever, who, who, whoever the the uh, the Pope was at the time. Um, and now I, I, I think everything I saw was Tobias Forge. Yeah. They also used to share the interviews around a bit between the various uh, nameless ghouls and Tobias. Mm. Now, really, it's just Tobias who, who does all the, the media work. Yeah. Um, what about musically? I mean, expectations going into this, just re-listening to us and re-listening to the albums, I, I think we both agree that Prequel was, was a very good album, but we mm-hmm. both preferred Meliora. Right. And felt that at times Forge's, uh, Forge's um, ambitions kind of got away from him and he, and he perhaps overreached at times on prequel, whereas Meliora felt like a much more consistent album from start to finish and certainly a heavier album. Um, prequel had some great songs on it, but just towards the end, some of those ballads near the end were like, oh, I don't know about this. Um, and, and even something like Dance Macabre, which was great when you first hear, heard it, kind of the novelty wore off on that pretty quickly, for me at least. I know lots of people love it. How are you feeling about this one, particularly knowing he was reuniting with the producer from Meliora? I feel like this album is definitely more carefully crafted. The songwriting is, like, they've... they've whatever the formula is, they've, they've figured it out. It's almost like there's two different phases of ghost, right? And, and, and Meliora is, is sort of the last of that kind of unadulterated phase, right? That was, that was the phase of like ghost. That was, that was when it was still ghost. I think that was when we still weren't entirely sure who was behind the band. We didn't really know anything. The secrets were all still there. This and it all this blew up after Meliora and, he, and, he, and the nameless ghouls split and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is this this isn't that, but I still think this is. I don't know. I this is such an incredible. I really enjoyed. I enjoyed listening to this album. In fact, I was prepared to, if necessary, kick the podcast down the line another week just so I could have another week with it. But yeah. it was it was time to rip the bandage off. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get into your thoughts on on the track by track as we always do in a moment. But uh, let's break down the. Recording details. Have you got that there on your giant vinyl copy of this? And we probably <laughs> I, should address the artwork and stuff here. And I've got it tell all. Tell us the details first. Uh, so it was released March 11th, 2022. I think it had been, they were talking about a release of 2021. Um, and then it was finally March 11th, 2022 is when it was released. It was produced by Klaus Aland, as we had talked about before. He was last seen on the Meliora album. Um, so I guess what that was 2015 was Meliora. So it, some time has passed. Uh, the label is Loma Vista. Um, it was recorded at three different studios, but it looks like the bulk of the work was done in Stockholm. Uh, two of the studios were in Stockholm, and then another one was in L.A. Um the lineup, we have Papa Emeritus the Fourth, Tobias Forge. Uh, we have our group of nameless ghouls. We have um, 
Frederick Ackerson on guitar. So here we go. We yeah. have somebody that's named, which mm. is not usual, uh, who mm. plays with Opeth. Um, but you knew that. I'm sure everybody listening to this knew that. Uh, we also have, was it, what's, I can't, is it Hux Niedermalm? What's his name? The, <laughs> there's a drummer. Uh, additional musician, his name is, yeah, I think it's Hux. Hux Nettlebaum. Anyway, um, is doing some drums, and then Martin Hederos does keyboards and piano. Yeah. And then there's just a slew of songwriters, most of whom we've seen before. Hmm. Right? We have Tobias Forge, Joaquin Berg, Salam El-Fakir, Vincent Pontari, Max Gran, Graham, Graham, uh, Peter Svensson, and then Klaus Island. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't think. Big name songwriters. Yeah. And none, I mean, and we've seen them all with Ghost mm. and previous yeah. albums. Mm-hmm. I thought the addition of Frederick Ackerson was a, was a big move. And it was really interesting. There's a link I'll put in the show notes of his experience in the studio and the amount to which he was managed. Now, he's a very technically accomplished guitar player, used to lots of widdly diddlies and, uh, you know, all those sort of very technical licks and, and touches on the guitar. And he has spoken about how they've they forced him to take strip all that away and just keep it really simple and, and not let him... You know, and I think we've spoken about the sort of control freak that Tobias is. I think uh, Frederick, he, he wasn't critical of it, but he just said, you know, I was told very strongly what to play. And, and also interesting hearing talking about the level of the degree of layering that went into that guitar. I mean, this, he called it a wall of guitar. And, um, you know, it was just... Um, layer upon layer of of guitar that went into that sound and you can hear that not just in the crunchy riffy parts but also even in the solos um you know he's saying in some tracks there could be 16 channels of guitars some rhythms were like eight guitars it was like craftsmanship getting these massive walls of guitars done is the quote so really interesting hearing that and I mean, the whole album has that feel, that that meticulous production that's gone into this. It does give it an incredible sound, I think. That's interesting. Didn't we feel? I, I didn't listen to our episode of prequel. Maybe I should have, but I felt like didn't we feel like guitar was lacking in that one? Uh, I'm not sure we spoke about it, but in hindsight, certainly compared to this and Meliora, yeah, these are much. Much have a have a much stronger guitar sound. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that. There's a, there's a lot of work that's gone into the guitar on this, as you can right, hear. right. And at times it does have quite a heavy crunch to it, which is is really nice. The other thing, just while we're on the production, the other thing that stands out. To, I mean, the production is outstanding on this. I don't think I've heard an album produced as well as this perhaps ever. I mean. It, but the drums on this sound incredible too. I mean, that, that snare just—it's <laughs> the best <laughs> snare I've heard since the Black Album, maybe, or you know, Metallica, or or um, you know, it's got that Mutt Lang kind of just snare that 
knocks you in the face. It, uh, it's, it's quite a sound and it's beautifully mixed too. You can hear the bass come through for so many different elements. There's nothing that dominates, nothing that's lacking. It's just beautifully great. The bass, I, I mean, that was the one I know. I know I always talk about the bass, but like you can hear the bass so well on this album. And what I love is that the bass is doing, he's doing a lot of interplay with melody and rhythm. And, and I'll talk about that when it comes up in some of the songs, but it, in, in the way that it just, it comes through in, in, in the mixing, it, it just, it completely, I don't know, adds whole other layers to these songs. Just the, the way that the drums and the bass are both mixed in. So before we get into the track by track, let's just have a quick chat about the incredible artwork and packaging. You, I can see, have the massive LP with this brilliant booklet. I've got a CD which has a smaller version of the booklet, but uh, the artwork on this is amazing. This is our friend who's done the artwork on all of the Ghost albums, certainly since Infestissimum. Infestissimum, yeah. I think was the first one. Yeah, so this is a big new Beal actor who does brilliantly detailed line drawings. And um, yeah, it's a great, it's just worth paying the money. If you if you like this album at all, pay the money. If you've got a record player, get the vinyl because looking at your big booklet there, I think it's just a work of art in itself. Plus the vinyl's bubblegum pink, <laughs> which it's just, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, the art's absolutely amazing. It's so detailed and like the just the level of detail that you can see in this massive vinyl version that I have. I know like I know that there are things like just these these crowd scenes. Like I would love to see you know how where they could like correlate to who's supposed to represent who. I know there are people like in here or whatever and like there was one moment where I was like, "Oh wait, is that that looks like that might be Tobias Forge in that crowd scene." I don't know. It was, it's so detailed, it's so intense. Yeah, and he had, I think there was something similar on, certainly on Meliora. So each song gets its own artwork and that helps you, it, 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 it sort of goes hand in hand, right? Like you feel mm. like that belongs with the song and it helps you understand what that song's about and, and I think it really works well. It's a nice way to do it. I do want to talk about the digital artwork. I don't know if you've seen the digital artwork. Um, so this is, we're talking about the physical artwork, but there is, he made, it seems, a digital version as well of the cover that if you're listening to it on Apple Music, at least, I don't know if it shows up on any others. Yeah, but on YouTube lippy, too. Is it on YouTube as well? And it's a moving, yeah. um, it's a moving kaleidoscope. Yeah. Just sort of the, that, that backdrop there behind the, the, the main album cover is just sort of this this kaleidoscope of, of, of colors and, and shapes. Yeah, and you can see his veins sort of pulsing in, in that opening image. We haven't discussed yeah. the opening image. Uh, that is based on, I believe, a picture of, um, uh, what's his name? Was it Alistair Crowley? Alistair Crowley, Mr. Crowley, the famous Mr. Yeah. Crowley that uh, Ozzy Osbourne was also sung about. Um so, yeah, and they, they, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, you know, there's a picture of Alistair Crowley with his hands up to his face, like we see here on the cover. And, um, yeah, he's kind of taken that and adapted it and given that kaleidoscope effect that, and I mean, the cover itself is incredible. There's so much detail. It's just mm. beautiful, beautiful work of art. 
Yeah. Um, hmm. All right. You want to take us away this time? New ball for you? So Imperium is, as always, with every Ghost album, we get we get kind of a cool introduction, right? You get sort of this, this sort of um, buildup of mood and kind of establishing what the theme of the album is going to be. And this, this is no different. It starts with sort of the acoustic guitar and got the harmonics. And then here, take that drink. Here come the soaring guitar riffs that, that sets the tone. And it gives it sort of this, it's either the kind of the dawning of a new day or even this heroic epic, like the sound of an amassing army. But the thing is, is that I can't disaggregate the art from the music and the, that for Imperium, that song sounds like this picture. That's, that's exactly what I, when, if I'm looking at that image, that first fold out image, that song is what I hear. Um, and this moves us straight into Kaiserian, which I had one, one of these interviews I had read, they tried out Kaiserian, I think was the, one of the first songs they rolled out live at one of their early live performances and Forge was saying that it just it just hit. The audience just went crazy for this song when they played it. And I get it. I don't know if he does that opening scream live, but it's pretty amazing. Um, and I, I just the the song itself is it's uh, it, it is it's built for kind of this whole big stadium show and 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 i feel like and it even the way that it breaks down towards the end i think the last minute and a half two minutes and there's that little dream theater bit right where they're kind of just showing the technicality of the people who are playing on this album and the song itself i don't know if it's a real world real word if it's a portmanteau um but it's a play on uh like just a, a, a an, an imperial government and and I'm not going to get political here. I'm going to get a little political, but I'm going to try to pull that back. But there's at least five or six songs on here where there's there is a there's a clear story that is very literally illustrated. And I think this definitely is the first of that story. I know Tobias Ford just said this is not a concept album and that he does not make concept albums. And and I'm willing to entertain it. He fine. You wrote the album, you know, but there is a definite concept out here at work. And I think it starts with this song. So, yeah, I agree. There's a definitely a link between the artwork and the songs. And I, I really love that about the artwork. It, it acts as the, as an accompaniment to the songs and it helps you put the songs together. This Imperium to me was that cart rolling into town at the start of the movie, you know, it was a great, mood setter and really sets up the album well and um yeah i think you've said just about everything that needs to be said about kaiseri and that opening is amazing that scream at the start that's that's like a slap in the face or you know diving into a, a cold ocean i used to go swimming in off the south coast of australia and that even after a, a big night you know you have one dip in that and it just wakes you up and that, that that scream at the start had that same effect on me. It's like, whoa, wow, well, this is uh, this is something. And um, yeah, love the sound. The thundering floor tom there towards the end is, is huge. Um, he's spoken about his use of pre-choruses in a couple of interviews, and and you can see an example of that here. The pre-chorus in many of the songs feels like it, it's good enough to be a chorus, and then 
you, you think, oh, wow, cool, cool chorusy bit. But then it wasn't actually the chorus. Here's the chorus. And um, we got that here. Um, and great lyrics, yeah. I mean, he really is a good lyricist, I think. He's a really good metal lyricist. Um, this song, yeah. yeah, I'll say that with, on that, I've tried singing along with it while reading the words, and I get tripped up. I don't. Right. It's. I'm. I'm impressed that he pulls that off. Yeah, um, we spoke about the lyrics on like, Faith on the previous album had some great lyrics. This one has an apostate witch's doom, which is just a great metal lyrics, and um, it also switches between that Fallen Empire stuff, and then it's he sort of personalizes it with the another deadline whistling past your ears, and I guess there's a link between the past and the present, and. So the importance, you know, the words that were never spoken, the things, the little things that can lead to empires falling, you know. Um, so, yeah, great song, great opening. So that brings us to Spillways, which is the third track. This one is uh, written by Tobias Vincent Pontare and Salem Al-Fakir, who... One of his songwriting credits, I'm not sure if it was the only one uh, off, the, off the previous album, was Dance Macabre, the really, uh, you know, that sort of 80s flash dance throwback that we had on that one. So he's, he's written some hits, not just that one, but some other hits for other people and, and really dancey, disco-y vibe to a lot of it. And this one has that as well. I've got that piano to kick it off. So the, the band that Jumped to my mind straight away was Toto with Hold the Line, you know, the piano use in that. And Toto are definitely an influence on this album, and we'll talk more on the influences as we, as we get going. There's so much 80s on this song and everywhere else in this album. I think Tobias Forge, I mean, he's not a young guy anymore, and I think the 80s, he would have grown up when he was very young listening to music in the 80s. He's covered songs from the 80s, and, and you know, we get that big 80s vibe in a lot of the stuff here. I uh, love the transitions in this song. There seems to be a bit of a key change as they go from the verse to the chorus, and that's handled very well. There's a lovely, restrained, artful, layered guitar solo. And, I mean, in the lyrics, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the spillways things are about, something about the darkness in all of us or something like that. I don't know, but uh, there's a, uh, it contrasts the boppy, dancey mood of the song a little bit, the, um, the darker lyrical content. But, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Your thoughts on Spillways? It's, um, just to add to the lyrics, I mean, as far as the music, you've kind of hit it all, hit on all of it. But <clears throat> I think this is also part of that that, that non-concept concept. And and it's sort of that that summoning of something, summoning of, of, of some sort of, of, of um, leadership or need to fulfill something but i like the contrast and you had mentioned this but the, just the contrast of the lyrics to the sound of the music right there's that it's the cruel beast that you feed burning yearning need to bleed through your spillways it sounds like it could be an early metallica lyric and and it's kind of up against this you know as you said toto or even kind of just this dancey pop vibe yeah. uh, just that dichotomy there i really i really like um, yeah, which takes us to track four. Call me a little sunshine. This was—I uh, will say—this th was my favorite song, but it's not. It, I'm not 
calling this my favorite song. This was my favorite song um, right. when I first started listening to this. I really, really couldn't get enough of this song. Um, it was, I think it might have been the first single. I'm not sure. Uh, the, this is the one where the, like the bass line really jumped out to me at the, at the beginning. Um, the moody guitar riff. <clears throat> The sounds of the drums. This is this is this was the song where the mixing really. When we talked about this kind of at the top of the episode already, but this was that song where the mixing really jumped out at me, and, and I thought, oh wow, what is this? What what am I what am I about to hear? And then there's the whole just the the way that this song is crafted, the breakdown, the chorus, the verse, the it, it, there's even like just a, a touch of humor to the way that he's singing it. This is this was, song is also one where I really kind of felt like I got a sense of what this character was going to be for this album, kind of the sinister edge, but with a bit of a touch of humor to it. Um, There's some really, it was a really good live performance of this that was on. I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, and it was Tobias Ford or uh, Papa Emeritus the Ford, like just decked out in these sort of decadent robes and and the new. Um, the ghouls, the faces ghouls and their new, their new getup, right? The new masks and everything. Um, and, but then there was behind was this female uh, backup singer who was just, if you see it, she's giving it everything. I mean, she is mm-hmm. just, she's selling it and nailing it. Mm-hmm. And, and it was after seeing that live performance that I really, really appreciated those sort of those backing vocal lines that are that are that are coming through in the song and and actually kind of in the recording wish they were louder i wish they stood out as much kind of as they did in that live performance but um i this is this is one of if you had to craft what like the perfect song this would have to be held up as an example it's a great song i think one of the great things about it is its simplicity there's been some comparisons to chiriche or cerise uh, which is probably the most popular song up, up to this point. And you can see that both musically and lyrically, that evil sounding, almost the Slayer tones in the in the intro. Uh, this was the first time Def Leppard really jumped out of me, and they've been spoken about a lot as an influence. In fact, Tobias himself has talk, spoken about the influence of Def Leppard, you know, that sort of hysteria era Def Leppard, the touches in, in the, just the way it's layered and constructed and pieced together, especially the vocals on this. And the guitar. The guitar sounds amazing as it does all through the album, but there's this lovely understated solo, but there's complexity in the... Just if you listen carefully, it sounds simple, but then there's so many layers to it, and some of the layers are just a little bit more complex than the mm. main layer that you hear at the top. So it's just this... Just beautifully put together. It's a great song. I love it. And, and again, that snare drum... Just before, you know, the, the You'll Never Walk Alone with that snare drum that leads into it. Man, that, that snare is a beautiful, a thing of beauty in itself. It's just just stunning. Um, and that was a single. It's also got a film clip, which is quite interesting. And um, I think, oh, that and Hunter's Moon are the two film clips, the two official film clips to this point. Uh, Hunter's Moon is the next one. And these were both co-written with Max Brahm, I think that's his name, or Brahm, something like that. Uh, so this and Hunter's Moon, and they're kind of similar songs in some ways. Hunter's Moon is the next one. It was also the name of a 
Commodore 64 computer game from the mid 1980s, and I wonder, and I know the Commodore 64s were huge in in Sweden. I wonder if Tobias had one in his house somewhere, and maybe played a bit of Hunter's Moon back in the day. Great, great retro game. Uh, this one was used on a soundtrack to a movie called Halloween Kills, and it's and the lyrical themes match it. It's about someone you know with that urge to kill. Um, and it's one of those songs where the the title of the song is like the is like the centerpiece of the song. You know, it's it's a hunter's moon. That's kind of the the climax of the song. Very well executed. Uh, the first verse, chorus, verse, chorus, sort of predictable start. My favourite part of this is that middle section with the choir and and the you know the chanting choir. It's a it's a really nice middle section, and there, and there's even a nice phasing vocal effect before the final chorus of the song. So there's some nice, you know, fairly simple song, but that that middle and, and later section are, are very memorable. Your thoughts? I this to me this song to me ooh, sorry felt like a uh, felt like a classic ghost song. The, yeah. This this song felt sort of something that could have been on an earlier album. Um, it wasn't quite as poppy. Um, it has nice vocal harmony harmonies before the breakdown. Uh, there's the splash right that they amplify that 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 kicks through. The um, I had, I knew somebody who had a Commodore sixty four, but I don't remember this. I don't remember Hunter's Moon. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I like this song, and the, these two songs as I was as I'm working through and trying to figure out how my 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 non concept concept. I don't think these songs fit. <laughs> I think these songs are their own thing. But real quick, you had mentioned that this is on the soundtrack for uh, Halloween Kills. Is that the Rob Rob Zombie's not still doing Halloween's right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It, much it doesn't about matter, but I just. But Rob Zombie and Ghost, like that, there's got that has to happen, right? At some point. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but so, but I did. I, I agree. I did like this song as well, and which leads me into Watcher in the Sky. And the thing about this song is, it's got that. Like I, I love the opening of this song. Um, but I want to go, what I want to do with this song is kind of what you were talking about with Call Me Little Sunshine. The idea that it, it sounds simple, but it's so layered and it's so dense and there's so much that's happening in the first, what the song is five minutes and 48 seconds long. So much happens just in the first three minutes alone, right? Where it goes, it's got the opening riff and it starts on the opening riff in the chorus. Uh, and then it goes verse, pre-chorus, chorus again, middle, this is middle bridge bit. Right, which that alone, now you can just go ahead and work your way back down the ladder and, and, and call it a song. They go back to the verse, they go to the pre-chorus, the chorus, then they go into this bridge choir breakdown that sounds like Boston, right? Straight out of the, the first Boston album. Um, and then goes into this cool, which at least two of the 16 layers of guitars, that dual solo verse chorus fade out. I mean, there is so much going on in this song. It's so dense. And this song also fits in my my concept, no concept. It's yeah. and it is. It's the hearkening of it. Look, I'm going to just say it. The concept, non-concept. The Caesarion is is it's it's watching an empire fall. It's clearly a, a metaphor for the U.S. under Donald Trump and Mike Pence. There's there's me not getting political. I mean, they're they're in the album artwork. I think you're. A, it's not exactly not a, a reach. Buffett, right? 
Right. <laughs> um, I love the, the imagery this song calls to mind, that feeling of you can see the spotlights as you're listening to it, crisscrossing the sky and the sirens ringing out and echoing through the night. The image to me was like a prison yard, you know, with the barbed wire around it and the, and the spotlights crossing and the, the noises, you know, the sirens ringing out when someone's escaped or something. Um, you've captured all the music just fine. The only thing I would add would be there was a link to me vocally between this and Year Zero in that falling vocals throughout the verses. You know, that, nah, 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 nah. So that was yeah. the ghost song that it caught to mind in the verses. But, yeah. Um, I love the that one note riff, that rhythmic one note riff they use in this. It's a it's a real stomper of a metal song. This one, which mm. I, we probably didn't get quite enough of for our tastes, at least on prequel. And um, yeah, it was nice to just hear a fist pumping metal riff on this one. The next. Two songs, we might do those together, Dominion and In the Twenties. Now, this is something very different again. Uh, firstly, a brass band, or at least a synthy version uh, of hmm. Dominion. I'm assuming you've got the vinyl, so you can tell me, is this the start of side two? It is. It's, in yeah. fact, it's where everything started to change. So, yeah, this was a lovely song, start of side two. I picked it, and it certainly feels like that. It's got a very cinematic feel. Great place for it, too, after watching the sky. This this feels like a, a break in the album and setting it up, setting us up for the second part very nicely in the same way that uh, the first song set up the first side of the album. So like this leads into in the twenties, which is probably the most experimental song on the album. It's also the most criticized in the reviews that I've read. I don't share those criticisms. I enjoyed this. It's probably got the heaviest riff just the, the one riff on this is the heaviest and the double kick work from the drummer, so a really metally bit, and the shreddiest solo. So there's some real metal elements in there, but there's also, I guess it's the lyrics that make it feel a bit more like a parody than anything that we've had on the album so far. And I guess that really is the issue that maybe people have had with it is, is you know, the hoo-hahs and all that stuff is, is, is maybe a little silly for some people. I thought it was fun, though. This was the first time I felt like it was Broadway on this album. We we mentioned that last, you know, there's, there's been a lot of Broadway in, in some of the ghost albums we've covered recently, and this was the first time I felt this on this song. But I still enjoyed it, and I love the heavy riff and the, and the double kick work and the shreddy solo. I thought it was still a good, fun song. Your thoughts on Dominion and in the 20s? Yeah, Dominion, as you said, it starts off, it's it's the B-side, and if you have the artwork in front of you, it's where the clouds are building over the town, sky's starting to get darker. Um, and then moving into the 20s, you've pretty much hit on everything I said. I really like I really like the stylization of his vocals in this song. And, and I find myself, when I'm not listening to it, even just singing that in my head, just some of the, you know, the, those opening where it was just like, uh, listen up, hatchet man, or listen up, yeah, right, it, all those bits, um, and, and yeah, the, the the lyrics are ridiculous in some places, but it, it it definitely is intentional. It's not lazy. 
Right. I mean, if we look at just how dense the lyrics are in this album, there's nothing lazy happening here. It, there, there's an intentionality to some of the to the ridiculousness where he's like, you know, taking no shit for the chulas, grabbing them by the hoo-hahs, smooching the feet of Darula, <laughs> grinding in a pile of moolah. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's all right. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and I, I wondered with this song, you were talking about the riff. This is one of them where I was wondering if this is what, when Frederick Ackerson was talking about being held back in the guitar solos, this, this solo, it felt like he was, he, he could just have gone off and was sort of being like he was being restrained a little bit. Um, which brings us to the next song, darkness at the heart of my love, which is, (laughs) um, it's it doesn't fit but it's it's a great song and it it's it's a nice ballad it feels detached from the album completely i thought um but you know what it's not a concept album (laughs) we've had that conversation um but i I like it. I, I like it. I like I like the snapping. I like that the, the, the vocals are emphasized with the snapping. I, I really like this song. I didn't, I don't know what I thought of it when I first heard it. I think when I first heard it, I was kind of like, hey, what are you doing there, ghost? And, uh, but then coming back and listening to it, and I'm on vinyl. I can't, you know, I just got to let it play. I can't skip. I'm at the mercy of the needle. And and I I, I do like this song. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. Um it's a love song. There's a darkness to it, right? There's that that motif of sort of the darkness and love. Uh, the choir's back. I don't know if I don't know if he's still bringing janitors with in his choir or not. Um, I yeah, no, I, I did like the song. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I, it's a very likable song, and this is the, as you said, it's the love song. It's the ballad. It's the big ballad on the album. It's, a, it's like every eighties hair metal ballad has just been distilled into this one perfect tribute right down to the cheesy guitar solo. The chorus is so catchy. It's that lighters in the air moment. If people had lighters in their hands instead of phones these days, that would be the moment, you know, the swaying crowd. Um, I love the, the, the choir towards the end, the, the chanted outro. It's a perfect finish to this song. It's just a great example of an 80s hair metal ballad. Um, the strummed acoustic build-up. It's got every ingredient that, that you want. And, um, yeah, it felt like, again, there's that Def Leppard feel or that, you know, th- insert any band, you any of those bands, you want White Snake, all of those bands, Foreigner, Europe, anything like that, any any of those classic '80s ballads, you can hear touches of it here. I really enjoyed it. It's so well done; it's impossible not to like. As is the next song, Griffwood, and again, a big, big touches of '80s in this. This was Van Halen in the intro. You know that ain't talking about love. You, you play that ain't talking about love, and this side by side, and you can hear it's so similar. Um, but this one is my favourite, so let's uh, let me get that up front. This is my favourite song on the album. The RR vocals, the that I'm your rock section over the the biggest touchstone to '80s is a pedaled one note bass line, 
and and we get that in the I'm your rock section that you know that think of unskinny bop or just any of those hair metals it was that one note bass line that under sat under every catchy chorus and and they've got one here and Van Halen did a lot as well and so many you know yeahs and oohs and it's just in a way it's a it's kind of shameless but that's part of the appeal and then and, and you're loving the song and then you get the holy mother bit and that to me is the highlight of this song and the highlight of the album that that's you know when the chanting choir you know it all drops away and we get that chanting choir and you just feel like this is a special moment of, of this song um and of course once we bust out of that bit we we get a nice solo and we finish off again with the catchy bits again to finish so yeah love this song a great tribute to Van Halen. It's not a rip-off of anything, but it just pays a perfect tribute to so many of those things that I loved and still love about 80s hard rock. I think this is another portmanteau, Griftwood, right? And the idea of, um, and this just sort of a grifter, someone who's kind of coming in and, and conning you from from whatever it is you're offering or allowing yourself to be grifted on uh but then driftwood and sort of that's that that wood that's floating in a flooded area that ideally you would be able to hold on to and and take to safety um but but it's not it's griftwood right they're they're conning you wherever they're taking you is not to safety Mm. mike pence on the next page um this uh this song first off you're absolutely right needs to be blasted out of a trans am t-top Right, somebody just roaring out of a mall and, and just blasting this song. Uh, it's got exactly the right amount of oohs and babies. I don't know what that number is, but this does it exactly the right amount. Um, and even that I'm it was to say I uh, I'm your rock baby yeah. should be cheesy. But it's not. It fits with the theme of the song, the idea of being dragged down by this this grifter, right? This this con artist who who's taking you for a ride. Um, so it's it's perfect. Like the way that it's sung, it should be cheesy. It should just be sort of you know some eighties lyric, throwaway lyric, but it's not. It it fits the theme absolutely hundred percent. Um, I like the bridge. I like the uh, the just this, the rhythmic. The piano has sort of this uh, percussive uh, role in the song that I really like, and then and then it busts into that wicked guitar solo. This is close to another one of my favorite songs, but we're still not there yet. Mm. Um, which then I'll take on these next two, uh, bite of passage, which is a nice little kind of lead in to respite on the spital fields. And this one I've decided is my favorite song. This is, this is the one I really, really like this. And you had mentioned white snake earlier. The opening does remind me of white snake, uh, in a good way. Um, and I like how the sort of the, the melody and in the, in the rhythm, how the melody and the, and, the, and the percussion, the rhythm all sort of work together. This is one where I really like what the bass is doing in the song. Um, it has, it, and this was the song where I, I think I, I first sat back and thought, where I can identify key ghost sounds. There are sounds that appear in every ghost album, not in every song, but they're always in the albums and they're, they're in this song. 
And it's sort of, there's that splash that reverberates on the music breaks. And there's kind of just this slide down the neck of the guitar that adds to the tension of the sound. As I was listening to this song, it's like, oh yeah, that's ghost. Those sounds right there are ghost. Um, And I, I just, I do, I love everything. Again, the song, the layers of it, all the different, it goes through all these different sort of, uh, journeys from in its six minutes and 42 seconds. And, and I just, I really love what the bass is doing on the, on the song. And I'm curious to know who's playing. Like, is it the same? The bass sounds definitely more, not busier, but more involved in this album than I can remember hearing. So I don't know if it's a new bass player. I don't know if they've just given the bass more room, uh, I really don't know who's playing the bass, but I'm I'm really impressed with it on this album, but really in this song. Yeah, I made an observation on the bass too. Notice, unlike the last album, we're at the last track on the album here, and there's no time we've gone, oh, I don't know about that one, or oh, I'm not, mm-hmm. not sure if Tobias, I think he might have, he could have left that one off, or that one was, sounded a bit trite. Or something. There's no point on this album where we've, had that statement. Every song on this album has its place. There's no filler, and I think that's a sign of, a, of an excellent album. You know, normally we we speak we speak about track eight, track nine as our as our joke. Um, that's where the the danger signs start ringing. But there's nothing like this. And as an album closer, this is one of the strongest songs on the album. You think it's the strongest? No, you know, I can see your point. It's a great song. This is the Jack Jack the Ripper song. This one. Um, but yeah, just so, so well crafted. As an album closer, this works beautifully. This is a great note to finish on. I also think it would be a great concert closer too. Although I don't think they're playing this from the in the recent set lists that I've seen. I don't think. In fact, I'm surprised there's so little of Impera in their recent set list. There's not a lot from the new album that they're playing, and I guess they're at the point where they've got. The fans expect certain songs to be played. You know, they expect Ritual, they expect Year Zero. So you can't fill a concert with Impera songs. But to me, there are a couple more songs on this that would be great live that they're not currently playing. So maybe they'll work those in. And they're playing songs like off the, that EP that was released, and we, didn't, we haven't mentioned it yet, but there was an EP released between Prequel and this one, which had Mary on a Cross and Kiss the Go-Goat or something on it, which I've listened to in didn't think much of compared to the songs on this, I think. Let's hear Respite on the Spital Fields live. I think it would be great, a great concert closer or an encore song or just that, just to finish the night. What a great way to finish. It's a great finish to the album. I love that, the the way it fades out, the piano and the choir. A, A great finish to an outstanding album. So... I'm interested to hear your overall thoughts. Where does this stand in the in the ghost catalogue for you? And where does it stand, you know, in, in the unshuffled catalogue and, and sort of just generally in terms of the feelings on the album overall for you? I I don't know that my favorite ghost songs are on the album, but start to finish, I think this is my favorite. I think this is going to take the top spot of my favorite. I think this is going to knock Meliora off the list or at least out of number one. Um, But again, I don't know that my favorite ghost songs are on this album, but I like this album as a whole. Um, 
as far as there are a few bands that like this one, well, really ghost Gojira and atomic bitch wax. <laughs> I love revisiting those bands mm-hmm. and any, anytime any one of those bands drops a new album, it's just, it's, I love having that chance to listen to it and go back and put myself back into that mindset. So any any chance we get to talk about Ghost, I'm 100% on board. Um, I mean, this band were an acquired taste for me. I, I didn't grab me straight away. I don't know if you think back to Opus Eponymous. I was like, oh, it's a little bit silly. And But like so many things in life, often the acquired tastes are the ones you end up enjoying the most and, uh, you know, coffee lovers or... People that eat blue cheese or uh, even those that uh, smoke cigarettes. Not that anyone would be silly enough to do that these days, but you would know what I'm talking about. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a taste that I've really come to enjoy. My revelation probably is this, is that the idea of Ghost the Band is probably not really any such thing. This is a Tobias Forge album as... The last couple of been it's a class class Ireland album, in the same way that Def Leppard's Adrenalize or Hysteria was a Mutt Lang album, and it is something that's kind of constructed. It's not organic. It's something that is pieced together meticulously and and perfectly. But you have to give credit to Tobias Forge. It's almost like Ghost Inc. You know, it's like rather than a band, it's like this organization. And Tobias Forge is the CEO, and I don't want to sound, that that's not to denigrate him, that there's a really good role for that and, and just to bring together the talent and to, to piece it all together and, and to, to assemble Arland, the songwriters that he's used on this album, the quality of the guitarist in particular and, and to fit all those pieces together with that vision I think is a real achievement. So... Uh, enjoyed the album a lot. And it, is it better than Meliora? I don't know. I don't, I'm not quite sure. Well, that will probably be a decision I make down the track. But I had a lot of fun with this album. This was a fun album, an entertaining album. My reservations probably are around that, though. It's, it is entertaining. It's so damn entertaining. But where does where does entertainment What's the line between art and entertainment? And, uh, you know, obviously that it's not a clear distinction, but this feels much on the, more on the entertainment end of the spectrum than the art end of the spectrum that perhaps a Gojira album might inhabit. Gojira is perhaps less entertaining, but more from the heart or more it means something deeper than, than this. This feels like an attempt to entertain the listeners. And I think there's a great role for that. I have a lot of fun with this. And that's probably my, my final take is just, it's just such a, so damn entertaining that it's well worth spending time with. It's probably not going to be one of my favorite albums of all time, but it's one that I'll come back to again and again. And every time I do, I'll have a big smile on my face and, and just, rock out and just enjoy it in the same way that I do with a Van Halen album or anything like that. It's not something that, yeah, it's, it's not a top 10 album for me, but it's, it's certainly one of the more entertaining albums already that I can see in my collection. I'm going to push back. Yep, Here's go why. for it. Here's Good. where I'm going to push back. Listeners want to hear this debate. We've <laughs> this, this, 
This is the political album I have needed. It absolutely really? is. Look, look, whatever's happening in the state of the world, what the country where I'm from has gone through over the last five years has been appalling and absurd and gross. And this album has just the way that it pinpoints and calls out the absurdity of it. It was as I was listening to it and listening to the lyrics, it's just like, how come it has taken so Where are our Bob Dylans? Who's shouting about this? Nobody. It's the, the music's becoming banal and bland and nobody's. It just this finally did it. This is what it was like. All of a sudden I'm hearing at least it was like, thank God somebody's talking about this. And it's not it's not coming from some political news source or it's not being tweeted or it's not, it's, it's, I, that used to like music. That was the beauty of music is music reflected the politics of its time. And somewhere we've gotten away from that. And, and I feel like this, this went for it. It did it. I feel like he went for it and he nailed it. And so I feel like this is a political album. That's my view. Yeah. I guess um, perhaps our, you know I'm Australian, you're American, um, so yeah. I mean, maybe that's got something to do with the way we've interpreted this. And I mean, interesting. He, Tobias Forge is an American. He's but, not. Uh, he's a very keen observer, I guess, of world events, and he's spoken about a book he read on the fall of empires that influenced some of his writing. In this. So yeah, I can see your point. Um, and yeah, I guess maybe to find some compromise. I think the lyrics are political. I guess my, what I was talking about more was the music and the, and, and the, you know, the sort of cheesy pieced together nature of, of it. It sounds amazing. In fact, I, I think on, um, I think you get a sort of Dolby Atmos thing if you listen through it through. I mean, it, it's made for stereos. It's made for listening in or on good headphones. It's incredibly, it's incredible work of modern music production. And, and um, there's, there, there's something to be said for that. So that, that's fine. But it is a political album. Mm, I don't know. It didn't resonate with me in the same way that it has with you on, on that level. Yeah. I, 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 100%, by the way, about it being a, a little... It's definitely poppy. Yeah. The, 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 the music is definitely... Yes. Mm. But I stand by my earlier statement. All right. All right. Good. That's what our listeners want to hear. A bit of bit of debate, a bit of disagreement. Good stuff. Um, so should we get into Ben Brown though? Because this, this, yeah, this might Brown continue is... the debate. All right. Let's uh, let's get through this. Yeah. Uh, this is always the do you want to Do you want to do this I'm one first? Happy to go first. Happy to go first. Yeah. Uh, Tobias, three votes. Not so much for his vocal performance, but for his role as the mastermind of this whole project and... and um, you may disagree, but uh, I, I think it's hard to go with anyone other than Tobias. My second vote, oh, I mean, this, oh, I mean, I'm tempted to give it to the producer, but I don't think we can do that. So just in terms of the sounds that you hear, I'll go with the guitarist. I think uh, our, our friend from Opeth, Mr. Frederick Ack uh, Ackerson. Um, gets my 
two votes for that incredibly layered guitar sound. And when there is intricacy and detail, it tends to be in the guitar section. Now, I know you're going to want to squeeze the bass in, and I love the bass sound on this, but to me, one vote goes to the snare drum. <laughs> so, in fact, more generally just to the drums, um, not for any great Mario Duplantier level of uh, technicality, but just for the sound. It just sound, I think those drums sound amazing. And you? Yeah, there's no debate. Um <laughs> I yeah no I I don't see how you couldn't give the three votes to to the vocals to or to Tobias Forge, again as you said not for the vocals but just for the construction of it all. Um, my two also I I Frederick Ackerson is I just said just the, the solos that he puts in there um, I think do add a lot to this, and then my my one vote. <laughs> I wanted to put the bass and drums together because I love the way they work together. Like just, yeah. I think you need, you need them both. You can't disassociate one from the other. So I'm happy that you went ahead and gave it to the drums so I can give it to the bass and, yeah. and, and justice is served. They yeah. both get their, their one point. Yeah. All right. They'll be very relieved. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, just about does it with ghost for now until they release a new album, hopefully in the next couple of years i think he's already spoken about having some songs in mind for the new stuff so we'll see where they go when that when, when the time comes but uh we'll come back to this album uh regularly i'm sure just as i do with meliora and um yeah you know even um infestism and, and prequel get a run now and then so yeah nice to add this to the albums that i know well and that we've covered on this show and i think uh hopefully our listeners enjoyed it too uh now great in terms of our next move, we've got uh, one more album from The Pretty Reckless to finish off on. Looking forward to that. Uh, it's called something about rock and roll, Death by Rock and Roll. Death by Rock and Roll. Yeah, and then we'll see where we go from there. We've got the option of the Cavalier stuff to, to continue with or to go to after that, or we can... Which I'm still totally that. on board with. Yeah, me too. All right. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Nice to uh, spend a few weeks with this album it was a lot of fun and uh yeah there's one thing we can agree on and agree on that, that this was a fun fun album just to, to listen to all right this has been unshuffled thanks as always for sticking with us listeners we do appreciate it it's great to have um, people all around the world that tune in and, and give us a listen we, we do appreciate it uh, it's also a pleasure and uh, an honor to be able to use that great song vanguard from the band seven planets thanks to small stone for and, and Seven Planets for allowing us to use that. It's a great opening track. And you'll hear it again soon as we wind things up. As always, you can contact us uh, and you can check out our new artwork. Don't forget that. It's on our website, unshuffledpod.com, where you can also check out the show notes from this album. We'll link to anything we've, we've mentioned as we, we've gone through it. We're on Twitter, at unshuffledpod. And you can email us. Please do and share your thoughts on this album with us particularly that art versus entertainment discussion. We'd love to hear what you think. Unshufflepod at gmail.com is the link for that. So thank you, listeners. It's been great. And, uh, yeah, I hope you had as much fun with this album as we did. And thank you, Scott. Yeah, no, this has been this has been a lot of fun, and I, and I look forward to uh, listening to the next Pretty Reckless album as well. Uh, thank you, Matt, and uh, thank you, listener. Thank you.